If I asked you to guess Charlie Faint, the Havoc Journal owner's favorite movie featuring Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze, what movie would you say? I really hope you're saying Dirty Dancing. You'd be wrong, but I hope that's what you're saying. Um, Of course, I'm talking about Red Dawn, which I don't know if this will be part of a tradition for us. I'd like to think it would, where during the holidays, Charlie and I just talk about movies we like with military or veteran themes. Um, So I don't know if it'll be a tradition or not, but if it isn't, it was certainly fun while it lasted. We had a great time talking about his submission, which was Red Dawn. Uh, The geopolitical import of it, the craft of it, the storytelling, the actors, I think it's a fun conversation. I hope you guys enjoy it, too. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer, and this is the Weekly Havoc. Welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Havoc, where we engage in a roundtable discussion with the staff and writers at Havoc Journal and try to make a little order out of chaos. Of course, as is the case in about 40% of our episodes, I then immediately abbreviate that intro to talk about what's going to be different about this particular episode. So this week's episode will be different in a couple ways. The roundtable is going to be me and Charlie, and there's not a ton of of chaos to make order out of we're i don't want to say charlie we're not phoning this in but we're 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 having some fun because it's the holidays and this is a layup for us to talk about kind of some low-hanging fruit which is to say to talk about movies right that's right i mean what better time to talk about veterans favorite movies than right before christmas a hundred percent not to mention it puts a moral obligation on the listeners if they haven't seen these movies or if their families and their kids haven't seen these movies to make sure that they do see them over the holidays. So we're kind of tactically, you know, prepping the environment here a little bit for people to go out and see these over the holidays, right? Yeah, we're helping vets just just like we always do. I mean, can you even be a vet if you haven't watched <laughs> the original Red Dawn? I, you really can't. I don't think you, you can't. It's on your it's if it's not on your DD214, you're not actually out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It has to be on there somewhere. It um, has to be it has to be the original too. So I guess that's our spoiler that we will be talking about Red Dawn because the title, of course, of this episode is Red Dawn. So you never would have guessed that's what we're going to talk about. But it does steal my my joke that I wanted to make up front, which is that I, I really wanted to tease the audience and see if they could guess what Charlie's favorite movie is starring Jennifer Grey and Patrick Swayze, because uh, I really hope everybody would go dirty dancing and we would talk about that instead. But of course, we're not. We're talking about Red Dawn. and. Um, Charlie, l- l- I'll give you the floor because this is your pick. Uh, we'll do my pick in another episode, but this is your pick for like the first guttural reaction to, hey, what veteran-themed movie really gets your blood moving? This was your pick. So talk about why that is. Yeah, Chris, first of all, I totally forgot that Jennifer Grey was even in this movie. She was one of the female partisans. I forgot about that. Oh, um, so obviously I need yeah. to to revisit my knowledge of Red Dawn. The but highly mentioned- motivated veteran Jennifer Grey fan base is now up in arms yeah i remember correctly she was a little bloodthirsty in that movie too that was pretty interesting she was which is funny because you know i mean her her dad you know was joel gray was a well-known actor and she became very much of a peacenik you know um leftist type and not to broad brush stroke this but let's broad brush stroke um you know later so i kind of wonder if she looks back at that movie and 
kind of winces and, and goes, Hey, Jesus, what, who was I back then? But yeah, very funny. Yeah. Yeah. So this movie came out at, I think in 84 and I was in junior high in 84. And this is one of the two movies, three movies that made me want to join the army. I think I mentioned this before on the show, this aliens and platoon, but particularly this one and not the least of which reasons was my high school mascot was the Wolverines. It still is about Westover senior high school, Fayetteville, North Carolina. We were the Wolverines and I wanted to be in the army and I was fervently hoping to see Nicaraguan and, and or Russian paratroopers descending in Fayetteville, North Carolina, where we would fight them and, and have a good time. Although and that would have been an improvement in the environment <laughs> in Fayetteville, North Carolina. <laughs> Fayetteville. Wouldn't it? Yeah. I, I think, uh, I think, to, to quote an, another of my favorite movies, the Russians would have been better, better off uh, nuking it from orbit. That would have been the only way to make sure of Fayetteville. With uh, they, they just hit Rick's pawn shop and get all the all the guns and ammo they needed to fuel the insurgency uh, forever. It, it would it would have been their Fallujah. It would have been an absolute uh, yeah right. It, it would have been yep. just a cesspool of mayhem there. Yeah right. Yeah, you got all those gun enthusiasts and and rebels and gang members and everything in that town that, that had been waiting their whole life for that moment. But alas, it was not to be. And I had to join the army instead. But you kept looking out the window every day during history class, just waiting to see the paratroopers falling from the sky. Right. Well, actually uh, in Fayetteville, that would not have been uncommon. You have to make well, that's, sure that is a good point. Yeah. 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 Dude yeah. way overshot Sicily drop zone. If he's landing in our high school, but I mean, <laughs> Hey, we, we both been there, bro. It's, yeah. Yeah. It could it's, happen. It's not without precedent. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, um, so anything else you want to say in, in level setting on red dawn before I dive into some more details? No, no. It was, I thought it was a great movie. I thought it was something that any teenage boy or girl could relate to. I thought it was well acted, thought it had a good plot. And I was deeply disappointed in its reboot, but we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. <clears throat> yeah, um, hopefully as briefly as we can. Um, but yes, that's <laughs> right. So he, here's the first thing that stands out to me now about Red Dawn. It's one of the few movies you can actually go back and look at in the Cold War era that named the Russians as the bad guys. And it's funny because when you think of I don't want to say the revisionist history because that makes it sound like this is manipulative and Machiavellian the way people do it. But, you know, nowadays we like to look back at, oh, during the Cold War, we were culturally aligned against the Soviets and look at all the bloodthirsty movies we did and all that. But Hollywood went out of its way to not make the Russians the bad guys, or if they were the bad guys, like they'd acknowledge the geopolitical reality, but they'd quickly say, but instead it was Spectre in James Bond that was really causing all the problems. It wasn't the Russians. Uh, and in fact, James Bond has to work with the Russians here. You know, there was always a carve out to make sure that people weren't instigating war and and unnecessarily name calling or unnecessarily painting them as bad guys. And the Russians didn't really start becoming the bad guys in, in mainstream movies until the Soviet Union collapsed. And then like Air Force One, it was like, oh, yeah, this is cool. Yeah, we can make Russians bad guys now because this is all you know neutral. And now we can really pick on Eastern Europe and, and the former Soviet bloc. So it's. It's a rare beast in that respect that it was 1984. It was the surging into the height of the Reagan years. And John Milius, the director and co-writer of the movie, really didn't pull any punches. Was like, yeah, it's the fucking Russians and it's the Cubans and some Nicaraguans helping them out. But yeah, this is who this is who the bad guys are. Yeah, it was a very interesting plot. 
And it took me several years getting into college and probably through college before I, I started thinking about this might have been a little more far-fetched than I thought when I was in high school. I was like, oh, yeah, it totally makes sense that Nicaraguans are invading Colorado. Um, but, you know, whatever. You got to suspend disbelief when you watch movies. But, yeah, I can see the Cubans teaming up with the Soviets to get a little payback for Bay of Pigs and pressure from the Soviet Union. And Nicaragua, okay, fine. They have a they had a pretty good, capable fighting force that just – not sure what they would be doing up in Calumet, but right. sure they regretted it once the Wolverines got done with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, obviously, there's a little bit of topical stuff here because, yeah, you're kind of putting in the the you know Cuban Soviet influence and then the the Contras and the Sandinista and Contra issues that were going on and raging hot in the 80s. So he's kind of like you know making it a little topical by throwing them in, but basically just call. It, I was just impressed that he called out the Russians. I thought that yeah. was. That was something in a time of war. And if you remember when when after 9-11 happened, remember there was a lot of sternum drawing in in the culture about, hey, we're making a movie and we need terrorists, but let's make a point of not having them be Muslim terrorists because that's a little too close to home. Like if you wanted any standoff in movies from reality, you couldn't use Muslim terrorists anymore. Like that was something like you could do it in naked gun in the original naked gun in 1990, you could have Muslim terrorists, but you can't do it after right after nine 11. And, and I just, so I don't know. It's just funny how that kind of ebbs and flows. It is very interesting. I was listening to some old, older songs that I used to listen to back in the early days of the war and even pre-war and some of the lyrics have changed. I was listening to some black eyed peas and I was like, Hey, I don't think that was the original song. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, like, uh, we we're dropping bombs like it's in the Middle East. I don't think that's in the in the song anymore. I just thought that was an interesting cultural change. And so wow. I think there, there's a whole list of things, lyrics that got changed uh, right along the lines of what you're talking about in very popular songs afterwards, probably for some good reasons. There's there's no need in propagating some negative stereotypes uh, out there. But, yeah, it is a very interesting dynamic when you're looking at which enemies to pick and again the the sequel to red dawn was originally going to be china but china was like not so fast they're tough guys and it ended up being the north koreans which was utterly unfreaking believable since those guys can barely keep their own country together they probably don't have the power projection arm to invade colorado either and then that was just one of many things i did not like about the sequel yeah and i mean certainly the sequel <clears throat> I mean, if if nothing else, I mean, this is all I, it took for me to not watch it, but just the kowtowing to China, just the, the the exercise in cowardice that Hollywood exhibited in the face of Chinese purchasing power is um, a pretty shameful example. So, yeah, <clears throat> duly noted about um, the remake. I guess for me, for the original. um. It's interesting to me that, you know, so let me save that point for later Um, because I want want to double back to something. But um, I I guess let me ask you, when you first deployed and you're thinking of the the split second that Red Dawn crosses your mind, you know, (laughs) like three times, you know, or something during a deployment, you know, just in those brief little moments. And uh, did you ever start to think about the parallels of insurgency and later on coin and go, oh, yeah, Red Dawn. So because I know I know for me, I, I was constantly hearing lazy comments 
like that. And I think it's intellectually lazy. And I'll explain why later. But I, I, the intellectually lazy comments about, oh, well, yeah, hey, that's just that's just like what we're, we're doing in Iraq. You know, we're the Russians and, and the Cubans and the Nicaraguans there. And um, did that cross your mind? Did it sour the movie for you? Did you have to intellectually debate that with yourself? Did that or am I just bringing this up for the first time? No, actually, I did think about that. I think a lot of it's did just like you described, Chris. So I never had the intellectual parallelism. I never had a problem with that. I mean, I I think that anytime you invade someone else's country for whatever reason, and I think we went in with with good reasons in Afghanistan, uh, there are going to be people that are pissed off about it. It's understandable to me. If I was back home in Huntsville and, and someone came to overthrow the evil dictator of Huntsville, Alabama, whether or not I like that person, I wouldn't want them to stay. Thank you for your service, GTFO, my country. Now, yeah. what are you? What are you doing? And I think everyone there would would resist that. That's one of the reasons I didn't hate the insurgents. I did hate Al Qaeda because what they were doing was it's not the same. Fighting for the the security of you and your family is not the same as cutting the heads off dudes on live television and and burning people alive and drowning them in in, in oil and stuff like that. It's just, it's not the same at all. But yeah, I did, I did think about that. And I thought about what I would do if I were in the enemy's position, because as an Intel guy, that's our primary duty to think like the enemy and think what they would do. And that was one of the reasons it didn't surprise me at all for us to learn in Iraq, for example, when guys were shooting mortars at us at Balad, when we'd roll some of those guys up and talk to them about it, it's not that they hated Americans necessarily they wanted us gone, but someone paid him 20 bucks to shoot mortars at Americans. And if you're, if you're broke and you're angry and you're unemployed and you need to feed your family and use purpose in your life, that sounds pretty good. So yeah, I did think about that. Chris, no, when I was overseas. no, noting though, that no one paid the Wolverines 20 bucks to do what they did. <laughs> and therein lies one of the many discrepancies or many differences between the righteous Wolverines and the unrighteous insurgents. <laughs> One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. And I, but I would say, uh, I mean, on a more realistic uh, geopolitical uh, take, I guess I would also say um, the desired end state matters. Um, and I think one of the things that really pissed me off when people kind of would make those comparisons, I was like, well, tactically, sure, the, the, it's same, same. Like, there's it's an insurgency, and and that's just the nature of it. And as opposed to in Red Dawn, us being the insurgents, now we're trying to suppress an insurgency. Um, but I think what really annoyed me was that people would would equate our desired end states. And I was like, well, no, I mean, we're doing this not only for different reasons, but also what is it we're actually trying to walk out of here with? And at the time, I mean, I know you remember, you know, the uh, no blood for oil, you know, marchers and all that stuff that was going on at the time which I always laughed at because I was like, where, if only we were taking the oil, where is this? Well, you know, where, where, where is our, our American imperialism in, in all this? And, uh, you know, Peugeot did well. Um, a lot of other folks did well. A lot of other companies did stuff, but uh, not us. And, um, and I think that as much as you can look, and I think there's a, a, a part of the nationalist right now that looks back and goes, oh, we should have done that. I, I think that righteousness, yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is that righteousness allows me to look at Red Dawn and go, yeah, no, we're still the good guys. And that didn't change. And I feel comfortable with that. Yeah, I thought the Americans were the good guys in Red Dawn. I thought we were the good guys in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I think we're still the good guys now. 
this it's hard to look at any other of those of those enemies that we face any of those situations and say that they're morally superior to us it's certainly not the soviet union nor the taliban nor al-qaeda i don't think any of those guys are, are better than us i think we're still the good guys and we're the good guys in in 84 and we're the good guys in 2021 and beyond and i i, I mean it I, I hate to say that that's a groundbreaking statement, but it kind of feels more and more like it is like people are taking the easy answer going, Oh yeah. See red dawn. Like we were rooting for the insurgents and now we're fighting insurgents and not really getting uh, what I, to me doesn't seem like a, a real, you know, intellectual leap in, in, in you know, st- staggering intellectual leap in, in, in assessment there. But I think to a lot of people, uh, just the smug comments of all oh, that's, that's us is, well, really that's because they're, they're taking the easy way out and they're identifying the wrong consistency. So, yes, the, right. the insurgency is consistent between those situations. But what's also consistent, more important, is the concept of freedom. So the so the Wolverines are fighting for the freedom of their country and overseas. We are also fighting for the freedom of the people there and for them to be able to make their own decisions. And ultimately, they decided they didn't want us there anymore. So we left. And I think some people are regretting that decision now on, on both sides. So, yeah, I think that's just it's it's lazy intellectualism yeah. and it, yeah. it's false, false equivalency. And I think a lot of the people these days who want to say that the U.S. are the bad guys are people who haven't spent a lot of time studying or traveling and seeing it up close. And, yeah. and my job in the task force was to exploit all the stuff that we captured on the detainees. And there's some really bad stuff in there, Chris, you've seen it too. You, you did the same types of jobs I did. And it's pretty heinous what people were willing to do for each other to each to each other. And that's what we were trying to prevent in that situation. I don't think it's the same. I couldn't agree more. I think, yeah, there's, um, (laughs) it always amuses me when people are like, look, I've traveled, I've traveled. I know the world I've been to France. Uh, I used to go to Switzerland, uh, you know, um, I have friends from Belgium. So yeah, like, yeah, that, that, that stuff would always drive me nuts. Cause there is, you know, and, and admittedly the places that you and I went, I mean, I don't blame civilians for not having gone there. They can't, uh, you yeah. know, you can't fly in there. So I, I got it, but sometimes it's nice to just let the adults talk. And that's a very, uh, my, my wife cringes every time I say that, but I, you know, I, I, I that's where I do get a little chauvinistic in favor of the mil- of veterans and the military, because, um, even when I don't agree with them or, or, you know, what have you, uh, you know, you've been there. So your, your voice weighs heavy, heavier in my mind than others. Yeah. I did have a, an interesting moment in Afghanistan on my last tour there uh, that it, it ties in. I promise this ties into Russians and red. <laughs> so, our, we worked very closely with the range range tar- charge the task force when I was over there and they would, I, they would normally blow things in place that they captured because we just, I mean, how many AK-47s do you really need at the end of the day? But in our screening facility, I had a little display up there and I asked the, the task force guys, I said, Hey, if you ever find anything interesting, bring it back here. We'll have it demilled and we'll put it up on the walls. We'll decorate this place and stuff like that. So they started doing that. They brought, they brought back RPK that had a, bullet hole from a, a ranger uh, machine gun in the feed tray, which is pretty cool. We did well that it had it on the wall. We had an AK-47 that was wrapped with orange translucent tape and aluminum foil, which I'd never seen before, which, which was great. Then they brought back this one thing that was broken 
and they brought it to me in my office and they're like, Hey, sir, do you know what this is? So I looked at it and it's, it's kind of like, it's like leaking and it's broken. And it was about, I could hold in my hands and it had Russian writing on it and a radiological marking oh, Jesus. on it. And I'm like, okay, this is broken. It's Russian and has radiological, you know, the, the, it the leaking. contaminant. It's leaking. Yeah. 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 Why did you bring this shit back right. to my facility? Get it right. out of here right now. Burn it. Right. Um, and we took pictures of it and stuff like that. I found out later it was, it was simply a, it was a compass uh, for a, a mortar system and it had tritium in it, which is what was radiological. Uh, uh. But uh, yeah. So that made me think, I thought of that when we were talking about Russians and red dawn and fighting and stuff like that it's like hey this is interesting let's bring it back to charlie and tsf it's it's radioactive and leaking but hey he'll figure it out (laughs) there's always a price to pay to be the smartest guy in the room yeah (laughs) yeah and the funny thing is i didn't figure it out we we, i think we went to wikipedia on that we just like what is this and we started narrowing it i was like oh okay yeah and of course the russians left us a lot of goodies in afghanistan specifically at vance and bath and all that as well I don't know if you ended, ended up hearing about all the stuff that they left for us there, because I think there was there was some testing that was done initially, and then uh, it was confirmed. I know when I was there, so at the very end of the war. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of toxic shit that the Russians left buried there that was, you know, there's going to be a lot of people who will take out medical, um, you know, file medical claims based off yeah. of that now well, and um, that's my hundred percent disability when i retire it's yeah 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 hundred percent so uh i'll steer us back on course so for okay. the for the red dawn thing so yeah here's where um I, i'm gonna overthink uh teenage charlie fan and teenage chris myers attraction to red dawn so red dawn is one of those movies that front loads romanticism and um, this was, I kind of got this theory from a, a couple of different places, but one of them was Paul Johnson's book on intellectuals when he talks about Rousseau and uh, went through Rousseau's life history and talked about the birth of romanticism. <clears throat> and the concept that Rousseau really forwarded was that of um, uh, nature and nature overthrowing social custom. And that there was a libertine sense that you could act however you wanted. And there was a, a freedom with that. And this is where Rousseau coined the phrase noble savage, talking about um, natives in whatever country, uh, whether it was the new world, whether it was in the old world, what have you. Um, of course, Rousseau never met a native ever or came across them. But he coined this phrase because it was this romantic ideal that because they were free from Western convention they could just live romantically and kill as they saw fit, have sex as they saw fit and do whatever. Um, and that was the romantic ideal. Um, and there, and our movies, um, you know, from the time movies were conceived have trafficked in romanticism, um, for better and for worse. And those that want to say that movies lead to violence and all that use that often as a critique. And I'm, I'm, kind of split as to whether or not I agree with that. But Red Dawn is an inherently romantic movie because it gives, like any great romantic movie, it gives you carte blanche to engage in, in this case, violent romanticism. A little bit of sexual romanticism too, but but violent romanticism where you have carte blanche to kill as you see fit. 
Uh, the Matrix did the same thing. It said, look, it's all part of a machine. Go do as you see fit. John Wick does that. You know, they killed my dog. I get to kill whoever, um, you know, and just giving you that pretext um, so that you can sit back and fantasize and put yourself in that place where you get to wantonly engage in whatever urge comes across. So that is, um, and the reason I bring this up isn't just to bore the shit out of everybody, but is also to um, what I think is unique about Red Dawn is it's one of the movies that unabashedly gives a patriotic pro-American and, and names the, the, the influence. Like this is an American story. This is pro-American. This is about America going after the Russians. It is nakedly partisan in its pretext for romanticism. So as opposed to the matrix that has this kind of intellectual construct or, you know, uh, uh, mythical construct or John wick or any of these others, which kind of go just to raw motion as the pretext, uh, John Milius said, no, it's because America, you know, and therefore you can kill at will. And I think that's why red Dawn has, oh, unlike a lot of other movies that engage in violent romanticism has always been a sore spot in the movie community and in Hollywood because it has been unabashedly American and justifying violence in that cause, as opposed to justifying violence in the Godfather, let's say. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think you brought up a lot of great points. And I think that's one of the criticisms of the movie was because people perceive it as, as a conservative movie, which I, I never did, maybe because I have those tendencies innately anyway. But that's not why I enjoy the movie, especially not as a junior high school student. I, I had no political leanings back then. But you brought up a great point about the attractiveness of the state of nature. So you've got the state of nature, the state of society. And people are living in society, but the state of nature is attractive because, like you said, you can do whatever you want. You can, you can kill whoever you want. You have sex with whatever you want. And when you're young and inexperienced, that's extremely attractive because who, when you're junior high and high school, who doesn't want to hang out with Jennifer Gray and Leah Thompson and shoot guns and fight the Russians? That's very attractive. Now, being many people 50, still do, but yeah, I know, right? Right. <laughs> being almost 50 now and having seen a lot of this stuff overseas, I, I don't want to do that anymore. I kind of like things the way they are. I like, I like people not to fight. Uh, we make more money that way. I'm very comfortable now and fighting an insurgency, especially if you're the insurgent is dirty and dangerous. If you get sick or people trying to kill you all the time, you never know what's going on. So yeah, that's a lot of romanticism going on in that movie with the, with the state of nature. And I think that's attracted to people like we we're talking about before who haven't had to live like that. I've lived like that plenty. I've been cold. I've been hungry. Uh, I've had people try to kill me and I'm glad that those conditions don't apply to me anymore. And I just assume not have to fight the Russians or the Cubans or the Nicaraguans or the Chinese or the North Koreans or anybody else in my own backyard. So with the benefit of hindsight, I hope something like Red Dawn never happens. Well, and Charlie, that's all well and good for you to bring your own experience and knowledge into this, but your, your argument falls apart on one condition alone, which oh, is here, brother. You're, you're not young, uh, you know, and, and, and <laughs> as an old person, if TikTok has taught us nothing, it's that old people don't know shit and everything is brand new and we have to reinvent the wheel and start from scratch uh, with each new generation. And, and I, I, I'm, I, I say this because I, I think that's, you know, I think we've talked about this in the past. I think when we did the episode on what it takes to create a failed state, um, I think one of the things we talked about was youth. 
yeah. um, that if youth is not conditioned correctly, educated correctly, um, and and I, I do mean conditioned correctly because it's it's also the family's responsibility to raise them, the culture's responsibility to what what lessons do they impart, what stories do we tell about ourselves um, that the youth pick up and and um, internalize, and if that isn't done correctly, you end up with the most dangerous element of society, young men out of control. And, and if we've seen nothing from the Russian revolution to Al Qaeda, to the Taliban, to, uh, any number of nefarious influences, uh, thank you, young people. Thank you. College kids that it all stems back to that because there's nothing like, um, mobilizing the youth to, uh, to achieve nefarious ends. And I think, um, you know the 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 advantage of age is that you understand you literally have lived best practices you've figured out best practices you pissed on all the electric fences you need to uh to know what right looks like and um and it's why i've never really understood pop culture i understand commercially why pop culture caters to youth but the fact that culturally we have tried to um internalize and and uh relish the wisdom of youth is to me nonsensical um and i think there's a lot of uh, without going too far down this rabbit hole although it might be too late i mean there's certainly commercial and political reasons why it's worth kind of giving a you know uh embellishing the wisdom of youth or or you know whether it's greta thunberg or whether it's you know, uh, the TikTok generation and trying to cater to them. Uh, there's plenty of reasons to do it, but it's a huge mistake to make young people feel like they know something because the one thing we all have in common is that we've all been young. So if you're old, you've kind of already know what, you know, we don't need young people to tell us a whole lot. It's like, yeah, uh, I've, I've been there, man. So it's really putting the cart before the horse to have young people start to be the instructive mechanism in this country that everybody has to respond to. Yeah. And that is part of the problem. Young people are easily influenced. They have a lot of time on their hands and they're looking for something to fill the hole in their lives. We all did it. We all went through it. I chose to join the army, did the same thing. And a lot of young people are aimless. So when you got these identity entrepreneurs that come along and say, Hey, you should be angry about this. You should fight this. And when that's, internally in our own country, then, then that causes a lot of problems because we're so safe and secure right now in this country that there isn't a big external threat that people know about. There are plenty of threats. We talked about a lot of them on the show. We'll probably talk more about them later today, but most folks don't have to worry about any of that. So they're looking for something closer to home. And that's when these folks sneak in and get folks organized and, and get them not only motivated, but violent. And we're seeing that in our own country, certainly over the last year or two, we saw a lot of violence for a lot of different reasons. And that has a lot of parallels to what we saw in Red Dawn. And I, I think, I mean, Charlie, I, I assume it was true for you too, but I really do think for young men, young men want to fight. And I, and it doesn't mean yeah. they're necessarily nihilistic, but they, they're looking for a righteous battle. And there's a lot of emphasis culturally on a righteous battle. And that I don't think that's socially engineering the desire for righteous battle. I think that's just intrinsic to being a young man as you look for righteous battles. And I think the denigration or the 
um, or if not denigration, at least dismissiveness of a career in the military or a life in the military has made a lot of young men aimless because uh, they're looking for a, a fight and a righteous fight. And the one place you could really get that in the, over the last 20 years was in the U.S. military. There was a righteous fight to be had. And for yet, sure. that's not where the young men were going. Uh, I know when I went through basic um, and the Iraq war was in everybody's frontal lobe and everybody was all buzz with it. Um, and, and I mean that nationally, you know, civilians were, were talking about it and, and, and all that. We had eight bays in our starship and our, our basic training star, uh, 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 lodging. And only three of them had recruits. Um, you know, nobody wanted to be there. And I was like, wow, man, like there's, there's nobody down for this fight. And I think that's interesting. Uh, and, and again, to pay lip service to Red Dawn, which ostensibly is the reason why we're talking. Um, I mean, it's a remarkable movie in that it is honoring country and the righteous cause of fighting for your country as a reason for nihilism and as a place you can potentially get that righteous fight out of your system, um, which again, marks it as a very rare enterprise in Hollywood. Absolutely. In addition to the righteous fight, one of the reasons I think there are so few recruits in your basic training and throughout the U S is actually pretty hard to join the military. And a lot of folks don't understand that you've got to be healthy. You've got to be intelligent. You've got to not be criminal. And that knocks out, a lot of people. I, I think we have a couple articles on this on Havoc Journal sure. about people being too fat, dumb, or criminal to join the military. And that's a problem with us. There's such a few small percentage of folks who serve in any capacity, much less the military. And our standards are so high that it's actually really hard to do it. So you got all this large body of people who are aimless, who want to fight and who don't have the legitimized violence through the government. So they start burning down cities and attacking Republican activists and things like that, or storming the Capitol. And you've you've got that because there's no other outlet for for this testosterone fueled, hormone driven youth that, that's mainly male. Now I should mention, um, full disclosure, I'm actually working on spec right now to rewrite Red Dawn. Um, and it is, it's going to have, you know, six young people. Um, but because they've been playing video games, they pull muscles and get out of breath going up hills <laughs> and, uh, their eyesight's really bad, but they do smoke a lot of pot. And, uh, so they're very chill about it. So even when someone dies, they're very emotionally resilient because they don't care. Um, so, so I, I think it'll be a, a more honest, updated version of red dawn. And, uh, I think everybody will be able to relate to it. No, it's a great point. It's, it's a great point uh, about that. And I think um, funny how Red Dawn can lead into a complete examination of social ills in the country. <laughs> but yeah. Um, what else? Anything else you want to say about Red Dawn? Uh, we definitely don't have to drag this out uh, for anybody, but I ran out of my notes. So what else do you have? Yeah. So I, I thought it was very interesting how they worked in Powers Booth as the pilot who got shot down. And he was kind of Leah Thompson's love interest although that that was i guess never consummated because even in 84 there was that, that was too much of a, a age difference between the two of them for that to work out and then i think eventually they were talking about sending a special forces team to help them out but what i thought was particularly poignant was at the end where they had partisan rock 
and uh, the American flag was still flying afterwards. It means America won. So that was a good, it's not explicit, but the American flag is flying over this monument. It's probably a good indicator that America won. And I think that was another good thing too. So you, you had this valiant battle. You, you took losses, especially after Powers Booth got involved. It seemed like he started, uh, he tried to professionalize the unit and dorked everything up, got a lot of folks killed. And then we won at the end. So what's not to love about that? Let me make this uh, more personal. Did you ever in your military career or especially downrange, did you ever, was there ever a moment, did you ever have an opportunity to go, oh, this is going to be like Red Dawn? Oh, fuck yeah. Or or even just feel <laughs> that emotionally, like what had G'd you up when you first saw the movie, that itch was getting scratched a little bit and you're like, bitch, and I did it. I can't say that. It was, it was such a fundamentally different experience to be, sure. to think you're going to fight your own, for your own country in your own country versus fighting for your country and someone else's country. I think more akin to I maybe related more to platoon or to even aliens being over there dealing with all that new high tech stuff. But of course, as we talked about on the show, I wasn't out doing direct action. I was on the fob driving the direct action as an Intel guy. So no, I can't say that I ever had a, a red Dawn moment overseas, but I do think the stuff that I started learning and thinking about, as an eighth grader or ninth grader, or however old I was when Red Dawn came out, I think that put me on the road to help prepare me for those types of things I experienced in Iraq and Afghanistan and numerous other places around the world since I've been in the military. Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. Hey, Charlie, uh, let's give a plug for a uh, second mission. What's going on over there? What do we need to know about? So, yeah. So Armor of God is on the street. Matt Saker's new book about his experiences as an armor officer in Iraq. We got about three more books queued up. Uh, feeling really good about second mission. As you know, I'm retiring. My ceremony is going to be on or about the 14th of May. Uh, we're official out on the 1st of August after 27 years. So I'm looking forward to really digging into that and helping vets get their books on the street. And Havoc Journal is going real strong. Mike Warnock is doing a killer job. Of course, uh, Lisa Suderman in there has has always been a key element of that running our Instagram, which is something that Mike and I as old folks uh, really don't understand and get, but it's important for us. And then my sister, Kathy has been doing a lot of stuff for us also on both sides of that, uh, helping us with swag and things. So it's clicking along really well, Chris. And, and uh, as you know, cause you were there, I was just at vet reps re- recent screening a meteor shower, which I thought was hilarious, even though it was a little awkward because my 13-year-old daddy was in the audience. <laughs> but uh, I'm really looking forward to Second Mission Help Support Vet Rep, too. I'm excited about what you guys are doing. I hope you spend a little time talking to our audience about that as well. Yeah, yeah, maybe we will. Maybe we'll do that on the on the next episode. So full disclosure for everybody that's had the intestinal fortitude to stick with us through our, our deep dive into Red Dawn. Um so Charlie and I are recording these in advance of the holidays because we want to make sure we stockpiled uh, enough episodes to uh, carry us through the holidays and make sure you guys had something, you know, kind of fun and, and light to listen to uh, through there. Not as, as heavy as we can get sometimes on the show. Um, so I think on the next one, I'm not entirely sure when this episode will run, but uh, it'll probably be maybe around Christmas ish. And the next one may run around new year's. So maybe we'll save uh kind of vet repish stuff for that and uh and maybe some shout outs to everybody um but i think certainly the shout outs that you gave um they've been great uh you know lisa mike uh and kathy have been a huge help 
to both weekly havoc and to, um, in Kathy's case as well to vet rep. So, um, yeah, certainly, uh, glad we could give them a shout out here because they really have been, uh, I mean, we wouldn't be where we're at at the weekly havoc without them. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you said something about them and, uh, Hey man, listen, not be said thanks to you also. Cause, uh, I know you covered down for me in November on the weekly havoc and, uh, I guess any parting word before we end this episode, anything we want to say about that? Um, uh, you did the, uh, uh, the episode with Sam Jacobs and, uh, yeah. How was that? Yeah. So it, that was real. that was really interesting. So I recorded that interview with Sam Jacobs, you know, this, but our audience doesn't in the car at, down at Fort Benning during a three gun competition. So if you think you hear gunfire in the background, that that's actually gunfire and it's not Fayetteville, North Carolina, it's a legit gun range. So that was it was very interesting to do it that way. I thought Sam was a great guest. Love to have him back on. And I've done the show a time or two before. Um, and I don't mind covering down, but I'm glad you're back in the saddle because you're, you're a great host. You think of a lot of things that I just wouldn't normally. And I, I like being a guest better than I like being a podcast host, I think. So I'm glad Christopher Paul Myers <laughs> running the show and, and not Charlie Fink. Well, there's there's nothing there's no better compliment than to extend one and get a better compliment in return. So yeah, um, I'll I'll take it. But no, listen, uh, I really appreciate it because yeah, yeah. As you know, vet rep was going hot and heavy, and I was I was really grateful that you could cover down like you did. All right, guys, um, that is all we have for today. But let me do my due diligence and take us through our proper end piece. For for the record, for those keeping score at home, because I know everybody is. This is the first time Charlie has been on the show, and I have not read the catechism of his biography to start the show. It felt very strange to do it, but I felt at this point, everybody knows everybody. And um, if you don't, you can certainly look him up, uh, and well, I'm sure I'll read it on future episodes. So stay tuned for that. But to everyone else, uh, if you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Uh, if you're on iTunes, a five-star review, as always, would be deeply appreciated. We will have show notes, probably very limited ones, but they will be out there. They'll be at theweeklyhavoc.podbean.com, or they'll be on my accompanying article at Havoc Journal, or they'll be wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. Scroll up, scroll down, and you will see them. There will also be alibis for anything I misstated, misspoke, misremembered, um, or Charlie as well, if Charlie happened to, but off the top of my head, uh, I'm not sure either of us made any significant brain farts that we would want to want or need to, to uh, explain. From Ernest Hemingway to Lee Marvin, from Jimi Hendrix to Mel Brooks, there has always been a very special type of American who has one foot in both the warrior world and one foot in the artist world. And after 20 years of war, a whole new generation of veterans are infiltrating artistic realms from poetry to theater, from dance to metal from watercolor painting to stand-up comedy, Savage Wonder is a podcast about them, the warriors and artists. It is produced by the Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a creative hub for talented veterans and world-class performers to create compelling live theater and events, which, full disclosure, is my nonprofit. And if you want to hear me conduct one-on-one, long-form interviews with veterans of the military, law enforcement, fire, EMS, intelligence services, or DOD contractors who are artists, please consider adding the Savage Wonder podcast to your queue. It's available on every single podcast platform, or you can go directly to the source at savagewonder.podbean.com. Again, that's savagewonder.podbean.com. As always, thanks to our producer, Mike Neal. 
I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. My thanks again to Charlie Faint. And we'll keep trying to make order out of chaos when we see you next time for the Weekly Havoc. Let me uh, shut this down and start to fire us right back up. How's that? No problem. What what movie were we talking about? We did do this. Yeah, I, I was thinking Showgirls, but but yeah, no, no, we'll do Zulu. I, I right, think yeah. that would that'd be a little more tenuous connection to the military, but I mean, I, we maybe, can do it. Maybe not. Maybe not. You're from Fayetteville. You, 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 you can see some relevance there. 